and so we were, we were cowboy fans. But my, my parents, all of our family is from Atlanta, Georgia, and so we would go back to Atlanta at Christmas and, and in the summers and uh, spend time, you know, with grandparents and all of that. Um, and we had an uncle named Uncle Kevin, and Uncle Kevin was kind of our hero because he was, a, he was an undercover uh, narcotics officer in downtown Atlanta, okay? And he was, uh, he was a, uh, kind of a bodybuilder type guy, um, so he was, he was like, you know, kind of ripped and a and, and bunch of muscles and, and uh, played football in college and all those kinds of things. And so every year when we would go home for Christmas or whatever, we, we, you know, we're like six, seven, eight years old, we got to hear story after story about him beating up bad guys and putting them in jail. And so we thought that was the greatest thing we'd ever heard in our life, you know? And so he was like this, like, just bigger than life figure that we, you know, was our, our kind of our hero and we love spending time with him. And one Christmas when my brother Nathan and I were about eight years old, he told my, my parents, he said, hey, when you bring the boys here for Christmas, I have tickets to go uh, to take them to an Atlanta Falcons football game. And we had, even though we lived in Dallas, we, we never had been to an NFL football game in our lives. And so we're like, man, we get to go with our Uncle Kevin to a Falcons game. At the time, so this is a long time ago, Deion Sanders played for the Falcons. That was before he was, uh, you know, a coach and an Aflac uh, advertiser. And uh, so we were really pumped about, like, we're going to get to go see the Falcons. We're going to get to see Dion. We're going to hang out with our uncle. This is going to be fantastic. And so he had a, a, a buddy uh, that he was a police officer with who had season tickets, and he's like, you take our tickets, uh, they'll be at will call, you go get the tickets. So, uh, so Sunday morning, uh, we, you know, we, or after church, we go down there that afternoon and uh, you know, find a place to park, all those things, and we walk up to the stadium, we go to the will call window, and my uncle asks for the tickets, and the lady's like, well, do you have the ID that matches the name on the tickets? And um, he said, well, no, it's a, a friend said that he was going to give them to us. And she's like, well, I, I can only hand the tickets to the person who has the ID with the name on the tickets. And uh, I was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And she's like, I'm sorry, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do about that. So, like, we literally turned to, like, start walking away. And my uncle is just like, oh, my goodness, I've let my nephews down. They, they think I'm, you know, their hero. What are we going to do? And as we're kind of walking away from the stadium... We see guys, you know, on the on the curb there who are calling out, anybody need tickets? I got three tickets or I got six tickets, right? And so my uncle, who's a police officer, walks over to this guy and, uh, and explains what's happening. And the guy uh, peels off three tickets and just says, hey, here, no charge. You guys enjoy the game. And so we were like, this is, this is fantastic. This is awesome. And so we go into the game and... We're kind of in, we're in the upper deck. We're having a great time, right? We're we're eating popcorn, nachos, drinking cokes. Like it's it, it's a lot of fun. And then about midway through the third quarter, there was a guy about I don't know six rows above us uh, who apparently was having an even better time than we were having. And uh, he stood up to yell something, lost his balance. And fell six rows, landed on top of my brother, and smashed him into the, the, the pavement there. And my uncle grabs this guy, lifts him up by the collar, and is getting ready to, you know, he's, he's a cop and he likes to fight. He's, he's in ministry. He's in ministry now, but at the time, he was a, 
um, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I love preaching. I don't get to fight as much as I used to, but, um, but he, he goes to, to hit this guy and it was the guy who gave us the tickets. And, uh, he's like, okay. He smooths his collar and he's like, let me help you find your seat, stay seated for the rest of the game. But, uh, it was just, it was just one of the craziest experiences we'd ever had, but we had, a, we had a lot of fun, but without that guy, we would not have gotten to see the game. Like we would not have been there. We would not have been able to, to, to have the access that we wanted. And there's, there's times in life where you want access to something, but you have to have an in in order to get the access that you want. Maybe uh, it, it can be going through some kind of a, a health challenge and there's a specialist that you want to see, need to see, but you've got to have a referral from your doctor in order to be able to go see that specialist or you want a, a job but you need somebody to recommend you for that job or to to get you in the door for an interview one of the things that I deal with uh, on a college campus is you know all the students on our campus want access to Netflix or whatever but they got to use their parents password right to be able to log on to those things and they, they don't want to have to buy it themselves and so they have that as they're like in there's there's times in life where you want access to something, but you need a, a go-between. And without that go-between, you'd be left on the outside. You wouldn't get to experience what you want to experience. And the Bible tells us that that's the exact uh, same reality that we face because of our sin when it comes to wanting access to God, when we pray to Him and, and having Him hear us. Without uh, a mediator, without uh, someone going as the go-between and bridging the gap between us and God, we wouldn't be able to come into God's presence. We wouldn't be able to have God hear us and then respond to uh, what we have asked for. And so our sin separates us from God and we need a mediator uh, who can give us access to God. And, and when we have that mediator, when we go to God with our prayers, even as we heard from 1 Peter 5, like he cares for us and he responds uh, to us when we pray because of the mediator. Now what we're going to see here in this story in 1 Kings 18, Elijah is the mediator who brings the children of Israel back into right relationship with God and who, who calls out to God on behalf of the children of Israel and God hears and God responds. And we're going to see how that points us to Jesus who is our mediator who can bring us into God's presence so that um, he will hear and respond. And so before I read this text, let me just give you kind of the background in case you're not familiar with this, uh, with this story. At, at this point in the timeline of the nation of Israel, the, the nation of Israel has split in two. There's been basically a civil war. And so now there's a northern kingdom called uh, Israel that is from day one has been set up as an idolatrous nation that doesn't you know serve the Lord you have a southern kingdom called Judah that has gone with the the dynasty of David and and a lot of their kings are you know somewhat godly but they mess up too and so at this point there's that there's that division between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom Elijah is ministering in the northern kingdom of Israel where Ahab is the king and his wicked wife Jezebel is the queen and they have instituted the worship of Baal as like the official state religion of the northern kingdom of Israel okay and, and the way that they did that was they started to hunt down all the prophets of God and kill them okay and so they've they've they've, they've killed all of these prophets of God they have instituted just we're going to worship Baal in the northern kingdom 
And as a result of that, God, through Elijah, pronounces judgment on the house of Ahab and Jezebel and on the northern kingdom because he says it's not going to rain for three years. And so they've been in an economic you know, recession, a downturn. There's been no rain. It's been a drought for three years, which is not only an embarrassment and a judgment on Ahab and Jezebel, right? If you are a government official and people are not able to provide for their families and there's, there's great poverty and they don't know where their next meal is coming from, that doesn't speak well of you as a leader, but it's also a judgment on and an embarrassment for Baal. Baal was seen to be the storm god, the lightning god. And so for the storm god that they're worshiping, not to be able to cause it to rain for three years uh, is a massive embarrassment. And so that's what's happened here in this story. God has, um, for three years now, three and a half years, God has judged the northern kingdom of Israel by there being no rain. And he tells Elijah finally, okay, it's time to end all that. It's time to bring the people back uh, to me. And so what's going to happen in this story, and again, you maybe have heard it before, is Elijah is going to gather at Mount Carmel all of the the people of Israel, all the prophets of Baal, uh, Ahab's going to be there, and there's going to be this showdown. It's going to be a contest to see which God is the true God. Is is Yahweh the true God? And if so, you need to worship him. Is Baal the true God? If so, you need to worship him. And so there's going to be this demonstration to see who's the real God. And the demonstration is going to be two altars are going to be set up, okay, with wood. Uh, a, a bull is going to be given to the prophets of Baal. Elijah's going to have a bull. They're going to sacrifice that bull, put it on the altar, and then call out to their God. And whichever God answers with fire from heaven that consumes the sacrifice He's the real God, okay? And so that's going to be the, the, the showdown, the competition to show who is the real God and who does Israel need to worship, okay? So that's the background to the story. Let me read for us, uh, starting in verse 20, and we'll go down through verse 29 to, to prepare for our study. Uh, this is what God's word says. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself 
or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on till the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. May God bless the reading of his word. So this showdown takes place. Um, all of the odds, and Elijah wants to, it's not just that it's a fact that all of the odds are stacked against Elijah. Elijah wants to keep stacking odds against him just to show how improbable this is. But he, he's like, okay, listen, you've killed all the other prophets. There's 450 of you. There's one of me. But, but you guys go first. You pick the bull that you want to pick. Like, like he's, he's giving them all the advantages. There's no like trick here. There's no manipulation. You, you guys, I'll just stand back here in the corner for a little bit. And you guys go first. And you guys do uh, all the things that you want to do. And so they get the bull. They prepare it. And they start calling out for fire from heaven. This should be easy if Baal is the storm god. One bolt of lightning out of the sky hit the sacrifice. Like this should be simple. But hour after hour after hour, they're praying. They're calling out. Uh, they're very intense in their faith. They're just, it's just been misplaced. And, and there's no answers, we're told, over and over and over again in the text. Like that's, that's the, the, the theme here. Who is going to answer? But Baal is not answering and so after hours of this with with no response Elijah you know the 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 sweet and kind prophet of God uh, doesn't take it easy on these guys what does he do he starts talking trash and he's like hey let's ramp it up guys get louder he might be asleep and you need to wake him up Maybe he's going to the bathroom and you just need to give him a second. I mean, this is like, he's like, like next level trash talk here that he's, he's saying to these guys. And, and I, I think for us, you know, especially if you have been in church or, or, or you know, read the Bible since you were a, a child, is, is to really try to force ourselves to think through what these situations and events would have really been like. Like not, not seeing it through the eyes of, you know, Veggie Tales or, uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of children's Bible, like a cartoon version. Like, what would it be like to be in a country that is hostile to your faith, that has, has sought to kill you, that, that wants to arrest you and, 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 and persecute you, and for you to be there to be completely outnumbered, right? The government's against you. The, the, the ministers are against you. The people have, have forsaken you. You're there all by yourself. And not only are, are they like seeking your life, but you're there and you're so confident that, that God is on your side, that God is going to show up and, and that he's going to answer from heaven that you begin to talk trash to these people who, who want to kill you. Like what would that actually be like. Um, I remember several years ago, I, one of the strangest ministry experiences I ever had in my life, I was in uh, the Middle East uh, on a mission trip in a Muslim country. And um, one of the things that we would do during this mission trip is we would, we would go kind of into the main town, uh, the city, uh, the main area, like downtown of the city that we were ministering in. And we would go through different shops and look around at different things. And um, and just try to meet people and, and share the gospel. And we went into this one, uh, like a silver shop. This guy, uh, his name was uh, Yusuf. 
um, that he was 22 or 23 years old at the time. He owned this silver shop. And so they, they had like silver tea sets and decorations and all these different things. And we went in there and we, we struck up a conversation with him and he was, he was super kind, hospitable. And so we, we literally like sat on the floor in his silver shop for almost two hours. He made tea for us and we, we shared the gospel and we got to know him and his life. And, and one of the things that he told us is he said that his grandfather, in this area that we were in, he said that his grandfather was the like elder leader of all the Muslims in that region because... From the time that he was a teenager, he could perform miracles, like he could perform signs and wonders, and because of that, he was the leader of all these people. Like, like for example, he could, he could jump barefoot into fire and not, and not burn him, all these, all these kind of things that he was telling us. And so he said, hey, uh, this, was a sun, this was a Sunday afternoon, he said, tonight we're going to be having, uh, I don't know the exact term, but like, like a prayer service, okay? We're having a prayer service with all the, the, the Muslim elders in this region uh, at 10 p.m. tonight. Would you guys like to come? And we're like, yeah, we love that. So, so, so 10 o'clock at night, okay, in this, in this city, we're following Yusuf. It's, you know, pitch black outside. We're going down these streetways, down these alleyways, and we go to this door, and we go in, and we go down into a basement and into a room that kind of about the size of this stage and as we walk in there's 20 muslim men sitting on the floor against the wall uh, crisscross applesauce sitting there on the floor and then we go and sit on the wall opposite of them and uh, they start their service so they start reading from the quran and and doing prayers and that kind of thing and then they're like would you guys like to say anything and we're like yeah we got some things we'd like to say and uh and so we take time you know about an hour sharing the gospel with them and um and then it's getting it's like eleven thirty. we're getting close to midnight and they they said um would you guys like to see some miracles now and we're like sure that'd be great don't have anything else on the on the menu tonight and they're like hey get your get your phones out turn on your cameras you're going to want to record this like you're, you you want to get video of this and we're like okay so we so we get our phones out i, I do have a video of it uh I, we've never let anybody see it but um, so, so we get our cameras out, we start to record this, two guys get up and they go in the corner and there's like a, there's like a hand drum in the corner and they start beating on the hand drum and they start singing and they start chanting. And we asked the missionary that we're with, like, what are they saying? And, and he said, they're singing, let the infidel know that there's a people that loves the truth. Okay. So we're the infidels. They're the people who's, who love the truth and they want us to know that. Um, and so they're kind of, they're singing in, in the corner. And the, and the grandfather gets up and he calls two young men to him and they, they come to him and one comes bringing a black handkerchief uh, and he unwraps the black handkerchief and inside, inside the black handkerchief are metal kebab skewers, okay? And so he, he, he tells the one, the one young man that's brought it to him and he, he lays it out on the table and he takes the, the kebab skewer and he starts licking the kebab skewer and then he tells the guy to lift his shirt and so the guy lifts his shirt and he takes the kebab skewer and he sticks it through the guy's stomach so that it's coming out the other side. And then that guy starts dancing in the corner, you know, wailing with the people that are singing. And then he tells the other guy to come and he takes another kebab skewer and he sticks it through his mouth, like through his cheek so that it comes out the other side. And I'm like, what's the miracle here? And uh, they tell us, well, because they're not in pain. And I was like, well, their eyes are telling me a different story, but... You know, and it's like it won't bleed when they when he takes them out. And it's like, yeah, well, 
yeah, because you're, when, they, when they took it out, the, the old man's like, like pressing his stomach together, you know, trying to make sure the wound doesn't bleed or whatever. And, and uh, like, like, again, just take, take this in. We're in this country. We're not supposed to be sharing the gospel there. Um, we're with these people that we've never met before. They're, they're, they're cutting themselves. They're praying. They're singing and dancing. What do you think would have happened if I had stood up in the middle of that display and said, hey, guys, the reason why Allah isn't answering you right now is because he's, he's using the bathroom. Like, do you think that would have gone, like, good for me? Do you think that would have gone well? Like, that's, but that's exactly what happens here. Elijah is so confident, not just of God's protection, but that God is going to show up and, and, and to vindicate, I am the true God, that, that he's going to respond when Elijah calls, that he is talking trash to these people and, and, and really making it clear, your God is no God. He, he, he can't answer prayer. He can't respond when you called him. That's the confidence that Elijah has, that when he calls to his God, that his God will respond. So let's see what happens at the, the, the end of the story there, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah here, he repairs. Again, uh, Ahab and Jezebel have been going throughout the land trying to rid any remnants of the worship of Yahweh. And so Elijah has to repair the altar that they have torn down. He does so with 12 stones that, that the text tells us represents the, the 12 tribes of Israel. So this altar literally or symbolically represents uh, the, the, the nation of Israel. And what happens here, again, we see uh, the grace and the mercy of God because a, a substitute is put on the altar and receives the fiery judgment that Israel deserved because they had turned away from God, because they had been unfaithful to God. And so the substitute dies in Israel's place for their sin and their unfaithfulness. And Elijah wants to, again, just stack everything against them. So as he cuts up the bull and he puts it on the altar, they have water three times thrown on that 
altar, uh, but he, he knows that God is going to respond uh, with his power. And then the fire falls, that symbol of God's judgment against sin. It falls on the substitute and it turns Israel back to him. Every sacrifice, too, in the Old Testament, every sacrifice that we see in the Old Testament ultimately points us to Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's, it's amazing to me. One of the, the things that I get frustrated about as an Old Testament professor is people sometimes, I guess well-intentioned, but Christians who act like that, that God is somehow fundamentally different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. And it's like, well, he was just, he was just really angry and wrathful back in the Old Testament, but he's just super loving and gracious uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament. And it's like, you've, have you never read the Old Testament? I mean, these people were unfaithful to God over and over and over again. And he poured out mercy and gave them second chance after second chance after second chance. And here, again, in this sacrifice, yes, the justice of God is poured out. It's poured out on the substitute. This is what Paul says about the cross in the New Testament, right? It's, it's in the cross that God can be both just and merciful, that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so we see that here in this sacrifice that, that God's justice is poured out on the substitute and God's mercy is poured out on the people. And it points us ultimately to Jesus and to what Jesus has done for us. And Elijah points us to Jesus and what Jesus does for us in terms of the mediator who calls out to God and God answers him. That's what we need in order to be able to have access to God and in order to have a right relationship with God. And then then, and then to expect that God is going to respond to us when we call out to him. That he is, as this text says, going to answer us. That's what we see in this text. It's, it's, it's a breathtaking scene, right? When Elijah calls out, God answers, the fire falls from heaven, and, and God listens to and God responds to the voice of a man. And through the mediator, he turns the people's heart back to him. God is gracious, and this points us to, again, Jesus, a very similar scene happens with Jesus when he's standing outside the, the tomb of Lazarus. When, when Jesus is standing outside the tomb of Lazarus, and he cries out to God, he, he, he says, God, I know, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm, I'm saying these things right now so that these people who are standing around listening to me, that they will know that you listen to me. Lazarus come out, and Lazarus comes out. What happens? People people believe they, they their hearts are turned back to God that's what we see here in this story and so we see the mediator between God and man who, who gives us access to God so that he can hear and he uh, will respond to us the the false gods can't do that right the Baals can't do that anything that you or I in our life look to uh, as, as our brother mentioned earlier look to for approval look to for satisfaction look to, 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 to give us the longings of our heart. They, they are going to let us down. They're going to fail. But the true God, the, the, the Father of our Savior, Jesus Christ, he will hear and he will respond. And he will bend down and answer his children. If we want God to hear us, just like the people of Israel, we need a mediator who can bring us back into God's presence. That's why for... for um, just practically speaking, like that's why, I don't know if you ever thought about this or you ever, you know, meditate on this, but 
That's why we pray. When we, when we pray, we finish our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, okay? It's not just like a formality. It's just not, well, that's just the way you do it. That's what you tack on to the end of a prayer. You know, as, as one of my professors in seminary said, you know, when we pray in Jesus' name, amen, it's not like, hey, you know, go down to the auto parts store, tell them Bob sent you, and you'll get 10% off your brakes. That's not what's happening. When we pray in Jesus' name, it's a, it's a declaration of faith. We have no right to be here or to ask or expect anything from you except because of what Jesus has done. That's the only hope that I have that you'll listen to me. That's the only hope that I have that you will respond to me is, is on the basis of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And we see that in this, this story too. This, the story ends uh, here again with the, the mediator praying and God responding. Uh, Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he prays, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked, and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea and the rain begins to pour. And James tells us in the New Testament, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and rain fell from heaven. And if we will pray, God will listen and God will respond. And so we have an opportunity because of what Jesus has done to be people of bold prayer because God through the mediator, will listen to your voice and he will stoop down to help you. I know if we, if we took the time this morning and we went around the room, we could, we could um, probably listen to testimony after testimony of ways that, that you have prayed and God has answered you in the past. Um, I know in, in my life, I just, I just shared with you about uh, my daughter, our oldest daughter who's a senior. Um, when, when she was... Uh, before she was born, uh, the doctors told us that she was going to be stillborn, that she was going, that my wife had a complicated pregnancy, that she was not going to make it. We cried out to God through Jesus Christ and, and God responded and he, he, he showed up and he poured out mercy on us and now she's, you know, uh, a senior and driving a car around and so that we, that increases our prayer life as well, you know, it's it, the whole of life. We, we pray for our, for our children, but I mean, I, prayed for family members who have cancer and, and cancer has gone away. I've prayed for family members who are unbelievers and they've come to know Christ as Savior. I've prayed for God to raise up missionaries, the churches that I've served and they've gone. A, a friend who's serving right now or, um, just had to come home but, but serving in Israel uh, among, among Jews. And so, um, man, when we pray, I, I don't understand all of this. I, I talked about this yesterday at the conference. Here's what we know. God is sovereign, but God is, but God is a God of means, that he has ordained certain means to cause things to happen in the world. Like, like you're not going to be saved if somebody doesn't share the gospel with you. And God, in his mysterious providence, has ordained that prayer, the prayer of his people, moves him to do certain things in the world. It's just true. It just, it just hap- it's, it's the way things work. And so we need to be people of bold prayer and ask God to do things 
like, like pray boldly and ask him to do mighty things in our life. Um, we, we have that kind of access, right? One, one preacher said that Jesus shed his blood on the cross to purchase an all-access pass to the throne of grace. And Tim Keller, um, who's passed in the last year, I love this, this statement. And those of you uh, with young children will understand this. Uh, he, when he's talking about prayer, Tim Keller said, the, the only person who would dare to wake up a king at 3 a.m. to get a glass of water is the king's child. And that's the kind of access that we have to God. And so let's be thankful for the mediator who gives us that access and let's be people of bold prayer and let's ask God to cause things to happen in the world that for some reason in his mysterious providence wouldn't happen without the prayers of his people. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and uh, I'm just going to pray for you and, and, and challenge you really. There, there's, there may be any number of things that you need to be praying for right now. Uh, there may be some in this room who need to call on Jesus to save them. Um, that, that you need to call on Jesus to, to turn your heart to God, to reconcile you to God uh, because you are not in right relationship with him. There may be some in this room who need to call out to God and ask him to bring prodigals home. You have children or grandchildren that are not walking with the Lord and, and you need to pray for God to turn their hearts back to him. Maybe there are some who need to pray and ask God to give you boldness to witness to a friend at school or to witness to a coworker at work or somebody in your neighborhood. It may be um, financial challenges that you're facing and you need to pray for God to, um, to provide for that financial need. It may be that you need to call out to God for healing from some sickness. It may be that you need to, to, to call out to God to uh, prepare a future husband or wife for your children or a future husband or wife uh, for yourself if you're not married right now. There's all kinds of things that may be happening in your life, but, but through Jesus Christ, uh, you need to call out to God and ask him to work as only he can work in that situation. So Father, I pray right now for my friends here, grateful for this church and for all of the ways that you are working. Um, I've even heard testimony this morning of of, of ways that you have provided uh, for this church. And so, Lord, I just pray whatever we're, we're struggling with, whatever we're dealing with, Father, I pray that, that, that there wouldn't be anybody here who would leave without uh, having their life changed by Jesus Christ, that they, that they would be assured of the fact that you say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you pray to the Lord in faith and ask him to save you, he will respond. And Father, I know that there are other needs and, and things that are weighing on our hearts that we need to ask you for, but Father, I pray that we would not take for granted this access that we do have because of Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you that because of his death, that he tore the veil that separated us from you and that we have boldness and access and should come with confidence to your throne of grace to ask for help in our time of need. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of people because, Lord, you will do amazing things in the world by the means of your people's prayer. And so, Lord, cause us to be people of prayer by the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.